Good morning, Great Oaks. Hey, online was louder. No surprise there. Good morning in this cold weather. Uh, online, make sure you stop and say hello. Actually, your host this morning is Pastor Jason, so enjoy that this morning. Hey, as we get ready, we're going to be in our week two of Scandalous Grace. Uh, and before we talk about Scandalous Grace this morning, I need to go ahead and give a small disclaimer. If you have a young child in the audience this morning, and I mean probably pre-junior high, I would recommend you checking them in at Kidstown Check-In. They're still out there because the sermon today is probably a little bit PG-13. I've tried to uh, push it as PG as I possibly can, but there's a scripture story we're hitting today that's going to have a little bit of awkward questions maybe in the car. And if you don't want to answer those, you probably want to check them in. Or if you leave them here and you have questions, the email you want is jason at greatoaks.church, and they, he will answer all those questions that you might have, all right? Um, last week, Jason opened us with, what is grace? What is this chorus that's been there since creation, is what Jason left us with last week. If you don't know what we've been using for this sermon series, we're using Preston Sprinkle's book, Scandalous Grace. Uh, you can buy it on Amazon, so that's what we've been walking through. Some of those points will be in my message today, so no, um, not plagiarizing, it's in the book, I promise you it's there. Um, so that's what we're working with with this sermon series, but also taking scriptural stories to apply that as well. So let's go ahead and pray this morning. Dear Father God, we are so glad we can gather, uh, either online or in person. God, we thank you for the technology we have to gather online. God, as we uh, are meeting this morning, we pray that it be your words and not mine. We pray that we all take something from the message this morning. Pray us on your name. Amen. Let me start off with this question. What do you desire? What do you desire? Online, go ahead and type it, put it in the chat. Everyone in here, go ahead and talk to your neighbor. You might have to move pretty far to get to a neighbor, but that's fine. What do you desire? If I don't hear conversation, we're going to be here for a while. What do you desire? Talk to your neighbor. Let's go. Come on. All right, maybe. How many of you said, I value or desire this? I desire money. Who desires more money in here? Hey, just as holy as the last time. All right, great. All right. All right. How many in here said, I, I desire a sweet new car? Would love to have a sweet new ride. All right. How many of you maybe said, I would desire to have this house? I don't think that's in any of our neighborhoods. Uh, but how many of you said, I desire, I'd love to have and own a house? How many of you said, maybe, I desire to have a healthy relationship or marriage? I, that's, that's what I desire most. Okay. Or maybe you just desire to have a kid. Or for some of you that might be older, you desire for your kids to finally have kids so you can have grandkids. Anybody desiring that? All right, no one wants more kids. Okay, cool. All right. And so as we ask ourselves, what do we desire? It makes me ask this question. What do you think God desires? What does God desire? And as you think about that question, I'm going to go ahead and give you the answer and pretty much spoil it already, all right? What God desires 
God desires you. God desires me. God desires us. And that might be hard for us. Because God's grace seems scandalous because God desires us even when we are undesirable. And with God's grace, there's three major ways we see this be true. So we're going to be looking at those three ways this morning that, you know what, we see how much God desires us even when we're undesirable. We're going to be looking at three Old Testament stories this morning, and we're going to talk about a, a contemporary story that's not scriptural later. I want to go ahead and tell you this. As we talk about these three scriptural stories, I will be paraphrasing a lot. So read it at home. You'll have the Bible reference, so read it at home so you get more of it because you're going to miss some things since I'm not going through every detail this morning. So the first thing, the first truth that we see that God desires us when we are undesirable is this. Grace pursues. Grace pursues. One of the Old Testament stories we really see this is, is we, we talk about Moses, all right? Some of you might only know Moses based on being the prince of Egypt from that awesome movie from the 90s, all right? He was an adopted prince in Egypt, but along the way, Moses ended up killing one of the Egyptians and fled. And we know for 40 years of Moses' life, he is on the run fleeing from this. But what he doesn't realize is this grace that pursues, God's going to be pursuing him so he could pursue his people. He has an encounter with God, and it's an amazing encounter. And it comes to us in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, says this, Then the Lord said to him, this is the burning bush scene, if you don't know what this scene is, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, to understand and grasp the, new, uh, the Old Testament with the Israelites, which was God's chosen people at the time, is here's what happens. The Israelites follow God, disobey there's judgment, cry out to God for help, God rescues, all right? This cycle happens over hundreds of years, multiple times. And he hears the cries of his people, and he pursues Moses to pursue his people. And what Moses does, he tries to just say, no, God, not me. Even though God's pursuit is there, Moses' response is, well, no, I don't speak well enough. God, they're not going to believe me if I go to them. But God, a grace continuing to pursue, is done with this. Well, then Moses hears Aaron, who can speak. Well, Moses hears the words to say, so they know that you come from me. Grace pursues. Moses was soon... To grasp the same truth the psalmist did in Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Grace pursues. Do you feel that? 
The second truth we have about grace is grace sustains. The story we look at for the sustaining grace is the story of Abram. All right, so a little bit of Bible knowledge for you. God has a way of changing people's names in Scripture, okay? So Abram is who we know to be Abraham later. And so Abram, in Genesis 12, God tells him, hey, I will make a great nation out of you. You will have many descendants, And then later in Genesis chapter 15, we get this. But what you need to know at the time, Abram had no children. So sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram. This is Genesis 15. In a vision and said to him, do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children... Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Verse 7, Then the Lord said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. Verse 8, and hear this, But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that that we will actually possess it? The Lord said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Yeah, we're reading the Bible now. So Abram presented all these to him and killed them, and he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. All right, before I get to the mass murder of animals, let's go ahead and talk about this. In verse 8, We see Abram ask the question of God, how do you know I will possess it? How do I know? At this moment, Abram's getting older in life, hasn't had a son yet. God has promised him this. God could have stopped there and said, because I told you so. Because I've spoken to you about this, not just once, but twice. In conversation with you. So then, what does God do? Instead of actually just speaking to Abram, hey, this is what I've said, so just be quiet and listen to me. Out come the animals. And when we read this in our culture today, we don't understand what's happening here, and that is a travesty. Because in the Old Testament, when you were making a covenant or a bond with someone, and it couldn't come to fruition at that moment, you made this kind of covenant. So for example, say, you had, um, say you're had, say you a parent of a daughter that's too young to be married at that time, so you're promising her to another family to be married to their son, but it can't happen at the moment because she's still too young. What you would do is the father of that household and yourself, you'd each bring a half, or you'd cut them in half, and you'd walk between them together, and you're making a covenant. Because what you're saying is, if one of us breaks this, God will curse you. That's the covenant, okay? So that's the whole point behind these animals. 
But watch what happens next. Verse 17. And then the sun went down and darkness fell. Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to you, to your descendants. So Abram saw a smoking fire pot, all right, and a torch, which represents the presence of God walking through this. Here's what we don't need to miss. In the act of sustaining grace, God walked alone. God doesn't say, Abram, walk with me in this covenant. God doesn't stop and say, hey, Abram, you're coming along with me. This is a binding covenant between you and I, and there's things you have to do. What does this tell us? This scandalous grace we're talking about, church, we don't do anything for that grace. It is a free gift from God, a covenant he's made with all of us. All we have to do is accept that. That's what that means. Now, I know us all in here well enough as people today in our modern world, we don't like free things. We all know the saying, there's no such thing as a free lunch. We don't like that kind of stuff. There's a catch. Or better yet, what have I done to deserve this? Maybe a lot of us in here have asked ourselves the questions. When we talk about God's grace and God saving us, we ask this question, am I good enough? Because I don't think I am. It's a question we hear often in church. I don't think I'm good enough. I'm not good enough. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you feel like that this morning, but I want you to do me a favor. If that's where you're at right now, I need you to keep that thought in your mind. Because the third thing about this grace, this scandalous grace we know is this. Grace redeems. Now, beginning of the message, I gave you a disclaimer. Here's the third story that's not suitable for everybody probably, but I'm going to try to clean it up as much as I can. In order to do that, I'm paraphrasing, so there's some things I don't get to talk about, so please read Genesis 38 at home. This is the story of Judah and Tamar. Let's talk about the story of Judah and Tamar. Judah starts off this way. Well, one day, he sees an attractive woman that he wants to be with and says, yep, that's who I'm going to be with, and so he be, he's with her. They end up having three sons. The oldest son is promised to a woman by the name of Tamar. Well, that oldest son does something that displeases God. We don't know what Scripture doesn't tell us, and God kills him. Okay? They have no children. So then Judah goes to the second son. All right, hear me out here. Here's where it gets fun. And says, you're going to be with your sister-in-law now. we got to make this okay. And the second son's like, okay. The second son goes to be with Tamar. And here's what we are told. All right, let's go this way. They are intimate together. 
and they don't conceive a child because he chooses to spill his seed on the ground. That's the text. All right? Well, guess what happens to the second son? Poof, he's dead. All right. Two sons down, one to go. Now, then there's the third child. What we do know from the text, younger, we also know the feeling of his father not wanting the third son to die. We do know that he instructs Tamar to go and still be a widow. And then when the youngest comes of age, maybe that's what's going to happen. And now try to grasp this. I'm going to guess here. We don't know the third son's age. Probably 9 to 11. That's my guess. Could you imagine having that conversation? Hey, your two older brothers, they didn't make it. <laughs> this is now your duty. What? So, next what happens is this. Time passes. The third son still no longer with Tamar. Not with Tamar. And Tamar learns... That Judah is going to be coming to this town uh, for work, like sheep, uh, shearing sheep. And as he comes to town, she decides to dress herself up as a lady of the night, we'll call it. And she and Judah get together. Now, she ends up getting pregnant with Judah, all right? Father, father-in-law, okay? And then at the end of that occasion, he can't pay her. So she says, give me something so we can make this happen and you can receive, you'll get your things back when I get payment. So he leaves with her his signet or seal, cord and a staff. When he returns home, he sends one of his servants with some livestock and says, hey, go find this woman who he thought at this time was the lady of the night and most of the time when you go to a city in the first and in the old testament those people lived in a certain area of the city in the wall okay so the servant goes and he cannot find this person comes back and tells judah i can't find her well three months later here's what happens genesis 38 verse 24 about three months later Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has acted like a, like a prostitute. And now, because of this, she's pregnant. Bring her out and let her be burned, Judah demanded. Oh, there's some hypocrisy. All right. Verse 25. But as they were taking her out to kill her, she sent this message to her father-in-law. The man who owns these things made me pregnant. Look closely. Whose seal and cord and walking stick are these? Judah recognized them immediately and said, she is more righteous than I am. Good call. Now, that story that I've completely kind of whitewashed over a little bit, you might be like, whoa, Chase, I don't see the grace here. I don't see this, this redeeming grace. Where is this possibly at? I think that story is messed up and weird, but I don't see redeeming grace. Here's what I need you to get from this story. The position it holds in Scripture. Genesis 38. Spoiler alert. It comes after Genesis 37. Okay? Genesis 37 is the start of the story of Joseph and the amazing, you know, technicolor dream coat. We all love to talk about that story. And then 
then we have this in 38, and then after 38, it's just the rest of the story of Joseph. So we might read all this and be like, oh, God, smart man, smart teacher. We should live like Joseph and not like Judah. Clear lesson for us to walk in life, like we were worried about walking like Judah. All right. But that's not really the point. Here's the point that I think God's really making. We today have grace through Jesus Christ. God chose the line of Judah to bring Jesus and not the line of Joseph. Why? Let that marinate for a second. God chooses Judah's line and not Joseph's to bring us Jesus. Preston Sprinkle puts it this way in his book. God deliberately gets his hands dirty by molding Judah's mess into a conduit of grace because God is in the business of working through our messes. Now, I asked a question before we talked about this story. Sometimes we ask ourselves, am I really good enough? Am I good enough? Let me tell you something. In 16 plus years of pastoral ministry, no one's ever sat in my office and looked at me and said, hey, so my oldest son married this person. It didn't work out. So I went to the second son. It didn't work out. I ended up being with her and then got a, you know, had a child with her. I never had that happen before in ministry. Never had that occasion. But God chooses that story for redemption. It kind of makes us ask that question, am I good enough? When we put that question in the light of Scripture, I know we say all the time that there's no such thing as a dumb question, but this one kind of might be one. When you ask as a person of God's creation, am I good enough? We're selling God short, and it's not what's in Scripture. Maybe you've been on a journey, and you've just lost a way. You had a relationship with God, and it was not where it needs to be now, and you've had to come, you've had to come back around. We heard an amazing transformation story from Chase Catton this morning. Maybe that's where you're at. And maybe what you're hitting at is, Chase, oh, I get it. I I'm good enough one time, but I'm not good enough to keep messing up. If that's where you are, then you truly don't understand that grace pursues constantly. When, we, when God gives us Jesus, there's an important scripture that I think just says, speaks volumes to grace. We've talked about this text probably four or five, six times in the last month and a half alone. John chapter 1 verse 14 says this, and the word became flesh, the word being Jesus, all right? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory and glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace 
upon grace. That is what we have. And yeah, I don't know your story. I don't know what you've walked through. I don't know what you've gone through. But I know if I have it, I know you have it. Online, I don't know what you've gone through. But all I know, it's nothing that can separate you from God. Because we have grace upon grace. Three Old Testament stories, how grace pursues, grace sustains, grace redeems. A really cool modern story about grace, which I think is very telling, is this next one. This story happened in some of our lifetimes. And since it's Martin Luther King weekend, I thought it was very appropriate to share this story. We're going to talk for a second about Will Campbell. I think I have a picture of Will Campbell to throw up with Martin Luther King. Yes. So that's Will Campbell. Uh, Will Campbell is a pastor, uh, went to school for theology. And so in Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace, he tells this story about Will Campbell. And here's what you need to know about Will Campbell. He grew up in Mississippi. He went to Yale Divinity School. And he became the director of religious life at the University of Mississippi in the early 60s. All right? Now, while there, he was very pro-integration. And when the school learned how pro-integration he was, they chose to remove him from his position. Which only made him want to fight for civil rights for everyone more. And then he meets another young man. A young college student by the name of Jonathan Daniels was inspired by Dr. King's call to come help in Selma, and Will Campbell meets Jonathan Daniels. Now, as they're pulling allies together to help fight for civil rights, Will Campbell notices this. He has more allies that are agnostic, meaning they do not know God or believe in God, than he does in evangelicals. And one of those people that's agnostic happens to be an editor of a newspaper by the name of P.D. East. And he gets so frustrated with Campbell. Why do you still hold on to these beliefs? Why are you so steadfast in these? And in fact, let me ask you a question. Give me 10 words of what is the Christian message. And I've even cleaned this 10-word quote from Will Campbell up a little bit because of some language that was in it. Because here's the words he gives. We are all illegitimate, but God loves us anyway. We are all illegitimate, but God loves us anyway. I've replaced that word illegitimate to replace something else, and you know what that is. What Will Campbell did not know is how much that quote was going to be tested. Because that young college student that he met, John Daniels, was arrested for picketing a white-only store. And when he was released, he was making a phone call at a grocery store. And while he was making that phone call, he was gunned down by an Alabama deputy sheriff named Thomas Coleman, who emptied his shotgun, killing Daniels and wounding another teenager. When this happens, that agnostic editor, P.D. East, comes back to him and says, Hey, Will, the day the death happened, this, this conversation takes place. He presses on him and says, Will, was Jonathan, this young college student that was gunned down, was he illegitimate? Will Campbell thought about it and said, you know what? Great kid, but I still believe scripture. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So yes, illegitimate. But God loves us anyway. Then he asks the next question. Well, how about this? 
Was Thomas Coleman, the man who killed him, illegitimate? Easier question to answer for Will Campbell. Absolutely, this murder was definitely illegitimate. And so P.D. pressed on him, got close, and said this. Who does God love more? And at that moment, Will Campbell's understanding of grace fractured completely. And when, that's, when that happened, he immediately follows it up, and this is where the rest of his life goes. He resigns from a prestigious position of a council of churches in the South, ends up moving to Tennessee and ministering to members of the Ku Klux Klan and also minorities. Because at that moment, what Will Campbell knew is someone wasn't talking about grace with the Thomas Coleman's of the world, and it needed to happen. Because church, God's grace, that grace, seems scandalous because God desires us even when we are undesirable. Even when we are undesirable. Look at Moses. Angry, tries to run away from what God needs him to do, gives excuse after excuse. Abram, older man who had moments of doubt of, is, is this really going to come true? Spoiler alert for Abram's story. In his late 80s and 90s, he had children. Life goal, anyone? Then there's Judah. The lustful father. There's grace. Maybe we have a bad understanding of grace because we don't have a great understanding of God. Last week, Jason did a beautiful job talking about the transcendence of God. And transcendence means it is beyond us. So here's what that means is if, if we know God to be all-knowing, all-powerful, and infinite— Guess what that means? His grace is infinite. Our redeeming story is infinite. So yes, you and I are good enough. And it doesn't just have to be one time. It can be over and over again. I don't know where you're at. Here, online, I don't know where you're at. I don't know, what, I don't know what you're struggling with. So maybe the message you need to hear this morning is this. It's not that grace pursues or sustains or redeems you. Maybe what you need to hear is this. Church, everyone, God pursues you. God sustains you. And yes, God redeems you. And I know it's true. First, I have this. And secondly, he did it to me. That's the message of scandalous grace.